0: Welcome to Reactive. My name is Henning, and I'm here with Raquel today. Hi. Hello, hello. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. I'm I'm wrapping up my last uh, week of vacation or fun employment before <laughs> I start my new job on Monday. Very nice. You so exciting. So how's the, how's the it.
0: electronic detox going?
1: Um. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, I am happy to say that I did not open my laptop at all in probably since our, since the last time we recorded, which is pretty cool. That is cool. However, (laughs) I have an iPad (laughs) and and a phone. um, And yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, I did. And I also signed up officially for Amazon Prime, which... Um, so, so actually this is interesting. This is interesting because I, so for historical reasons, I was attached to my dad's account, which is fine. Like, so when you have Amazon prime, you can like have one other adult that has all of the goodies. So for our international friends, Amazon prime is basically Amazon's way of getting you, hooked into the Amazon <laughs> ecosystem and never letting you go because they give you all of these like nice things and you're like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And it's only hundred dollars a year. So you're like, wow, for a hundred dollars a year, I can get two day shipping on all the things that I want. And they give you access to like Amazon video and Amazon music and like all of these other things. And you're like, this is amazing. Um, and I refused to pay for it because I was attached to my dad's account And, um, but like, I didn't have, so like, there's two types of, of like additional members that you can have on an account. Like there's one other adult who can have all the goodies as you. Um, and then anybody else that you add on is considered a household member, quote unquote, which means that you get the free two day shipping, but nothing else. And so that was my life for a long time and I was totally fine with it. And then friends of mine were like, oh my God, there's this documentary you need to see. And I was like, yes, I need to watch this documentary. How do I watch it? And they're like, oh, it's only on Amazon video. And I was like, um, and so it's like, fine, I will just live my life without this documentary. Um, and, and then, and then my dad like had a moment where he like messed up something and like accidentally canceled Amazon prime, uh, for himself. And then he like decided to get it back. But then he was like, what do I do? Like, have I canceled your part of it? And I was like, you know what, dad, I am a software developer in the Bay area. I can probably afford hundred dollars a year to just get my own damn Amazon prime. And by the way, this means I get to like finally watch this documentary. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's do this. And I started looking at like the library of movies and TV shows that they have on Amazon prime. And it's actually pretty extensive. It's it, there's a decent overlap with Netflix but not a hundred percent. So like there's, there's like stuff that Netflix has that Amazon prime doesn't, uh, or Amazon video. And there's stuff that Amazon video has that Netflix doesn't. And so I was like, okay, like, Hey, this is kind of cool. Um, and so then my next task was to, uh, to, you know, start watching stuff, but it turns out I have a, I have a Chromecast at home. Um, and, Amazon and Google, it turns out, have a major fight going between them. <laughs> oh, nice! So, Google Chromecast—I can watch Netflix, I can watch YouTube, I can watch like all sorts of things, but I can't watch any Amazon video. So I was like, okay, if I want to watch the Amazon video, how, how do I watch this? Like on my monitor, like with an HDMI. And of course, Amazon has their own thing called the Amazon Fire Stick, um, so you can watch stuff. On Am- and I was just like, no, no, I refuse. Like maybe I'll pay $15 for an Amazon stick, but it's 40. So I was like, this is, this is too expensive. Forget it. I'll just, I'll just use Chromecast via computer to watch things on Amazon prime whatever. Um, but I also looked into Amazon prime, uh, the Amazon fire stick to see, okay, well, can I still like, if I were to get that, Could I, like, replace my Chromecast? And the answer is no, because on Amazon Fire Fire Stick, you can't watch YouTube at all because Amazon (laughs) and Google are fighting.
0: (laughs) I've been down this this rabbit hole, too. It's terrible.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so dumb. And then, of course, you know, then you have, like, people who have, like, the Apple TV on top of everything else. And I'm just like, no, this is too many devices. This is way too many devices. This is just... Forget it. I feel like Netflix wins because they're on all of the devices.
0: Yeah,
1: um, that's where I'm at.
0: We have Amazon Prime too, and we don't watch any of the stuff just because it's yeah. I'm not. I'm not pain. willing to do that crap. <laughs> so. It's such a thing. By the way, um, Amazon Prime exists in other countries as well. Just so you know. Good. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Let everybody you know give thanks to the Jeff Bezos uh, deity <laughs> yeah. and we give had them all it in your, Germany. Like, so oh, goodness. it's, I just, I feel like no one person should control that much of the world. And yet <laughs> we have like Google, Amazon, Apple, the three of them easily control so much of the world. And I feel like, uh, um, what's his name? Elon Musk is yeah. like coming up. Like he's like, he's on the ladder. He's like, excuse me. Coming through, coming through. I'm <laughs> I'm about to take over the world too. Yeah. And it's like <laughs> <laughs>
0: what? so.
1: Anyway. It's pretty
0: crazy, yeah. But yeah, yeah. it is these little technical things that you're like so like, oh wow, this is so cool and then you run into all these little problems and you have to have
1: mm-hmm.
0: all this all the the company's proprietary thing to plug in or make compromises or just constantly be fiddling with stuff and I don't want to do that. So I just settled on Apple TV, whatever plays on that, that's it. And it's easy. I have one remote. <laughs> not dealing with that anymore.
1: I mean, the reason I love my Chromecast is I don't have to have a remote. My phone is my remote and mm-hmm. it's like,
0: great. Yeah. That's the, we that's talked the- about that. I think, yeah, that's the one yeah. thing you can't wake the Apple TV up um, with the remote on your phone. You have to have the the actual remote.
1: Yeah, and At the Amazon Fire so. Stick also has a remote. Yeah. This is stupid.
0: Come. Yeah. Hey, <sighs> yeah, yeah. Too many so, things.
1: So, <clears throat> that's my feeling. And I like. I kind of wonder, like, when we're building stuff ourselves, like, are we locking our users in, right? Like, just thinking about that from, like, a more meta standpoint, like, yeah, it's great. You get your people to, like, you get your users to, like, sign up for your stuff but how many users are kind of like you handing her just like no no yeah I'm just gonna pick one and if it means that I can't get all the other things then fine yeah I think it's for me luck.
0: it's probably you have too much other stuff in my life that I don't want to deal with these kind of things mm-hmm. there's plenty of people that have no problem with that and they probably think I'm nuts for not you know, mm-hmm. dealing with it so but I'm just yeah. like no <laughs> just like, there's certain things <laughs> yeah. it's just not high enough in the priority anymore mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's
1: legit. I think yeah. it's totally legit. Yeah. Um, but I mean,
0: you know, to to the to your point about, you know, what are we doing or what what why is this? I mean, it's it's all about money, right? I mean, that's what it comes down mm-hmm. to. They all want to yep. to have their own little thing and they can do their nifty little features on their own device and yada yada mm-hmm. yada. So, unfortunately, that's how it is. <sighs> yeah.
1: Heavy sigh. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. Um, but in in happy tech news, there, you um, go. there is a, a, a video out there in the world um, of a... There's a, a, a Japanese artist. And I think we, we shared this in the Slack channel. Um, or somebody shared it in the Slack channel. It was just amazing. Um, but basically, it's this Japanese artist who... Um, he, he like retired. He was a, he, I don't know what he did before, but, um, he retired and he wanted to make art. He wanted to do painting, but he didn't want to go and spend a whole lot of money on like painting supplies and all that stuff. And he was like, no, 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 I want to do this as cheaply as possible. What do I already have that I can just make stuff with? um and like to the point where he like so he had his computer but he like didn't want to buy new software either like he didn't want to buy photoshop he didn't want to buy any any like any software he wanted to just use what he already had on his computer so he decided to to, he decided to use microsoft excel (laughs) and it's amazing so i saw the
0: pictures and i hear what mm -hmm. you're saying i just don't i didn't go into it in 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 any depth so how on earth is he actually making these images with Excel? Is it like a yeah. pixel? One cell is a pixel, or or what?
1: That's what I thought. I thought like he was just sitting there doing like fill, like color fills on like each individual cell. In <laughs> um, but no, he actually what he uses is the graphs function, and he builds little graphs um, and and like just does drawing. Like, he just draws in Excel. And, like, if you watch the video, he'll actually, like, show off a little bit of what he does. But, like, he uses, like, different gradients to get different colors. And, like, and then he, like, overlaps different, like, graphs on top of each other to make these genuinely beautiful things. So, he drives
0: um, the graphs with numbers
1: is that I, it? No, he, use, he uses his mouse. I don't know how he's doing it, but like he, like I saw him like, like draw like a bell curve and then like a couple other, like, I don't know if there's any numerical piece to it or if he's just using.
0: That like, would be totally insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> like, I, I'm just like, what are you doing? Um, and then he prints it out on like high quality paper and like, it, it's beautiful. That's amazing. Um But nobody's buying his stuff yet. I hope I hope that's changed. Um, So I'm just like I'm just amazed, mostly because like my experience with Excel is spreadsheets, and I think about spreadsheets the way I think about like going to the dentist, right? Like a necessary evil, but not something I want to do all the time.
0: (laughs) It's also an artist's device, apparently.
1: Apparently, apparently. God, I, I have to. I
0: have to. Re- is there an article or is it just like some videos or what is it?
1: Um, I mean, I all I found was a tweet, okay. and I thought it was amazing. I'm sure there are articles though, um, and I'll I'll obviously. Share I'm curious
0: tweet. how how that works now.
1: I mean, yeah,
0: because I, I didn't know that there was sort of free form drawing in Excel. I thought everything was sort of driven by by data.
1: So. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Okay. Although growing up, my dad used to write programs in Excel like like he would code in excel and make like entire things that like comp like, like major fortune 10 companies would use these applications that he would build in excel just
0: yeah, I did some 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 uh cool. some of that too myself. That was
1: did you? a nightmare.
0: <laughs> no, it's basically you can you can you can obviously write logic in cells and have all kinds of interdependencies and mm-hmm. you can tie in um visual basic, et cetera. So I mm-hmm. had um, massive spreadsheets that were used to calculate the parts lists for pipe organs. Um for pipe organ pipes. So because pipe organs are the most insane thing in the world
1: as far as uh,
0: as far as like crafting something like that because there's no two pipes in the instrument of thousands or tens of thousands that are the same and Mm -hmm. it's 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 to the point where the wall thickness of a wooden you know pipe is different from one to the next or at least from one set to the next so Wow, you have to calculate all this stuff based on you know the type of um, sounds that you want. and there's mm. various formulas to do that. So you can sort of interpolate between the C's uh, mm. and um, you know figure out what the you know the material list for each of each pipe is. And uh, I spent like a summer making crazy spreadsheets to, to do that because <laughs> before that, they would do that all by hand, which is even more insane. So. You
1: can't see me right now, but I am shaking my head like, uh, uh, yeah. no, thank you. That's actually where all of my
0: software, um, sort of my first tinkering with software started was in, in organ building because I worked for my dad who had an organ building shop, <clears throat> well, shop. a cut mall shop. a was one of the top companies in that um, industry. And he would have me work in these different departments and some of those were building pipes you know and um there's there's metal pipes and there's wooden pipes and then there's like various racks that you have to uh create in order to hold so there's like cylindrical metal pipes and then there's cone-shaped pipes right and they're made Mm -hmm. out of a tin and lead um uh what's it called a mixture in 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 metal is a met in german but i don't know what it is in english I it's mean, an it's alloy, a, right, yeah. I think? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it's a mix of that, and it's it's really soft. So over time, if they didn't have support, they'd just probably, like, collapse and, you know, fall over. <clears throat> so you have to build... So if you, if you think about an upside-down cone, right, you have the dimensions mm-hmm. at the bottom, you know what the diameter is, and you have the d- diameter at the top, and you know what the distance between those two diameters is. So you can figure out at any given <clears throat> height what the diameter is, right, mathematically. Mm-hmm. And um, so what what these um, poor saps would do <laughs> before i saw what they were doing is they would lay out the pipes on a table like line them up at the bottom and then with a tape measure go and figure out where they wanted to put a, a rack that basically supports them which is nothing more than basically holes that you slide these in and you you put mm-hmm. felt around the inside and they would they would then go and measure the circumference of the pipes to then figure out the diameter somehow at this given spot, right? And then I'm like, oh, what wow. are you guys doing? This is crazy. And they're doing this with like hundreds of pipes. And uh, so I figured out, you know, I give them like a little I think this was my first Pascal program or one of the first that was actually used. <laughs> is where you would enter the data for the pipes and you would say, I want I want a rack at this height. What is the diameter of hole I need to drill? <laughs> and it would give them that. <laughs> <laughs> So, so it you know it turned out to basically be sort of a an, an export from a CSV file to get the pipe data, and then basically them specifying what what height they want to have this at, and it would just spit out the diameter, so they wouldn't have to this whole manual step of shuffling pipes around and you know taking them out and putting them back in, laying them down, and all this kind of stuff was uh, eliminated. So. <laughs> Anyway, totally sidetracked
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I think it's so cool when like, I mean, call me ridiculous, but I really like it when people <laughs> use software to solve real world problems. Yep.
0: Yeah, that's how it, how it all started. So. <laughs> <laughs> Applying my math skills or trigonometry, geometry skills and mm-hmm. my... My basic <laughs> programming skills in Excel. Yeah. <laughs> oh yep. goodness, that's cool. That was fun.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So
0: cool. So, yeah, I'll be very curious to see what what how this guy is making art in Excel. That's
1: mm-hmm. this is yeah
0: that that's puts a smile on your face. It's cool. Something creative. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, trying to think. Uh, so you know that's always exciting. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's, on, what's on your mind? Um, I'm
0: sort of wrestling with um. Code review and how to um. How to streamline it? How to do it better?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, how, what's your
0: how to decide when to do it at all and. Sort of the, the, whole, the whole shebang. But here's the problem I'm having, sort of, is that um, people that come into projects that already sort of exist need someone to help them out. And at the moment, that's mostly me and my boss. So that creates a huge bottleneck on you know the entire sort of workflow. So I'm trying to figure out how I can best equip people or enable people in the team to do reviews, but in order to do that, I need to know or I need to decide what sort of the expectations are. And for me, that's even at this point somehow kind of difficult to figure out, you know. Because code reviews that, to me at least, when I think about that, there's so many different levels of that, right? There's mm-hmm. um, you can look at things that if you just take a method in a class or something and you you look at it for look at it in regards to you know, um, will it even execute? Are there edge cases you're not considering because, you know, you have some sort of branching in there <clears throat> that doesn't maybe consider all possible? Um, you know, flows through that, what would happen? Just things that are completely, like, isolated to that that you can look at um, if you understand what you could put in. And what should come out, you can sort of understand what needs to happen in between there and point to potential problems, right? But that's not Mm -hmm. even... I mean, that's helpful, obviously, yes. But then there's the issue of like overall, more like architecture. So if I'm asking someone to implement a change in application A that talks to application B and C and maybe the person writing the thing doesn't understand 100% what happens downstream and what kind of implications it could have if you do something in your own app uh-huh. that's more like a bigger architectural thing, right? And that's that's mm-hmm. that's the harder part. Yeah. And it's like that I can understand that you need someone with a total overview of everything maybe. But then again, that doesn't come just with, Oh, well, let's look at how this interacts. You still need to understand when you're doing this review, what's happening on the very low level, because it could do something that affects it maybe downstream. Yeah. Right. So how do you box this in, in a, in a way that it's manageable? Because, um, you know, there's just, there's just at the moment, maybe it's because the. It, I have, like, a time issue. <laughs> but but that's, to me, the biggest problem is how do you clearly define what is the developer's responsibility, what do you want to get out of the code review, what is reasonable to get out of a code review, and how do you do it, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Very gosh, broad. that is hard because, <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, especially when you have bigger teams. Like, the, the larger your team grows, the less likely one person is going to have the entire system in their head, right? Precisely, and yep. so, like, you can't, like, in a smaller team, like when I was at NPM, it was pretty easy to just be like, all right, when you're doing a code review, like, make sure you have somebody on your team review it and also somebody who has reviewed a bunch of cross-team stuff. Because, like, the easiest way to learn, right, in my opinion, the easiest way to learn would be to... um just kind of ship it and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. And then and then learn the hard way, right? That, oh shoot, this broke this, this broke that. Um, and you figure it out and you're like, oh, okay. And like that's what good staging environments will, will enable you to do, right? Like if, if you have a nice staging environment, um, then you don't have to worry about setting it up to production and you can still see how things are being affected, like, all across. But if you don't have like at npm, we often had situations where, like, the staging environment didn't have complete data. Um, we didn't have a full test case, like a test suite, that we could run to make sure that nothing was breaking further down the line. Um, we didn't have a QA, like, there was no QA team, um, and so basically, sometimes you'd just be like, "Yeah, this looks good," and you'd ship it, and you go to staging, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah, this, this this still looks good," and you push it to prod, and then suddenly, supports like. Oh God, everything's broken. What did you do? <laughs> and you're like, Oh no, roll back, roll back. What happened? Uh, and then you try to recreate it on staging. And you're like, Oh wow. I didn't even realize that I had, a I had broken it in staging as well. So, but that's oops.
0: a really interesting point, right? Because that's the issue that we're having too. These are, these are fairly complex systems that have a lot of external services. And in staging, a lot of these services are not available. So for mm-hmm. example, in our, you know, ERP staging sandbox, FedEx label stuff isn't turned on. So there's certain code paths or certain paths through the system that we can't even test because they just don't work because we can't, for example, reach out to FedEx and get a label because, you know, for some reason, certain services don't have sandboxes like Amazon and and FedEx, et cetera. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it's a tough problem. And it's not like you could just stub out... Or or sort of replace it with with your own test dummy service because you can't plug that into the ERP system. That just it doesn't work. It's an internal thing. You can't do that.
1: Mm So anyway, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. But then the downside to that, of course, like like so while that's a nice and thorough way to learn and level everybody up so that like while you may not have you may not end up with system architects who'd fully understand everything. They'll at least understand how those three APIs work together and like, or like those three systems all work together so that when someone else comes in to do a, a you know, a pull request, when like you can have that person do the code review and they're like, oh, hold up before you do this, you're going to end up breaking blah, blah, blah. But the downside to it is it takes a lot of time, which it sounds like you don't really have. <laughs> yeah. Like making mistakes and then learning from them takes time. Um and that's that's that part I do not have solutions for, um, except you know, if you already have, like, I mean, what is it? It's like uh, people, time, and work, right? Like, like those are the three things that like you can have enough of two, but not <laughs> you can't have all three like perfectly in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, like I always said that at NPM, we had too few people, too much work to do, and too little time to do it in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that's pretty, pretty consistent no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if you have people who are like, but then again, like if you already have like one person who knows what's going on, um, then you're constantly asking them to spend their time doing code reviews instead of actually writing code. And, you know, uh, it's. It, it's uh, Yeah, that's the balance I'm trying to yeah. sort
0: of figure out where it should be, right, is is exactly mm-hmm. what you said earlier, because to some degree, I kind of agree with ship it and learn from what happens, because mm-hmm. in some cases, you can't even do it any other way. But right. in some instances, that actually has real financial implications, and that's yes. not acceptable, and then you're going to get in trouble uh, sooner or later. Yeah. So that that's one, one yes. issue. But then... You know, if you constantly rely on someone to have the bigger picture, you're never going to get it yourself necessarily mm-hmm. or possibly. Mm-hmm. And then you're, yeah. this is like, you're going to be stuck in this cycle forever and that doesn't scale. Yeah. Right. So
1: yeah. that's, that's sort of do the you, thing I'm
0: wrestling with.
1: Do you, does your team do pair programming?
0: We do to some extent. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cause like that might be a good way to like, at least, Get the expert to dump a whole bunch of knowledge onto somebody who's not yet an expert, and mm-hmm. then like like that's like you can do that in like two ish hours or however long it takes to you know pair on something um and just slowly level everybody up it's but yeah, there's no. I wish there was some like easy peasy, like yep, this is how we fix it for everybody. <laughs> Ding. Um, yeah.
0: No, I realize that that's that's not the case. Um,
1: <laughs> it was, like
0: maybe some pointers or something, but I guess just you know figuring out reasonable ways to to sort of categorize stuff and and say we're we gonna do you know peer yeah. reviews for this type of thing, and for this you're just gonna you know you're gonna yeah. you're gonna learn. I don't know what do they call it? Trial by fire. Right? Yeah. Do you, do you
1: have um, do you have a canary system in production?
0: What exactly do you mean by that?
1: So um, so it's it's the same idea as like um, there's the canary in the coal mine mm-hmm. idea, right? Like um, coal miners would bring canaries, and I'm sorry, this is a little uh tragic, but um, sometimes when you're they were the gas uh, detectors, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. the gas detector. Like this little canary would do it. Fortunately, we don't we no longer live in that era, <laughs> so canaries are all fine. Um, but um, in in production systems, um, it can be helpful to kind of have like a little knob that you can turn to like only turn on new features for a percentage of your traffic, mm. um, and then that way, like if you do break it, you're only breaking like five percent of users who like you're like okay it you can at least see how they're reacting to it. And then if it totally sucks that you can roll it back. And it's like, it's almost like a staging environment. Um, except you're using all of production. Yes. Um, <clears throat> and, um, now that said, I know of like some companies, they like don't have a staging environment at all. They just have various levels of production. And so like, they They limit some of their production stuff um like so like when they push to quote unquote staging, what they're really doing is pushing to production with a limit of i p addresses that are local to the company, so like you're using all the production level stuff uh, um but yeah. nobody else can see it except for people like in the company, and then like you take it to the next level, which is like um it's like a trusted group of people like maybe you have some insiders or like you know you get people to pay extra just to break things right like people love being part of like the beta or whatever and if there Mm -hmm. are people who are really vocal like it it can be a really useful tool because you can just be like all right we're pushing this brand new thing to you please give us feedback. And they're like, oh yes, I can't wait to complain at you. This is so exciting. Um, yeah. But then like, they're not pissed at you for it breaking. Right. They're just like, ha ha, it broke, see? Um, <laughs> and and that can be like really useful. And then like you slowly up the ante to eventually roll out. Um, one company I know who does that, they it takes them like three to six weeks to roll out new changes just because they want to slowly up the ante. And then that way if like, they need to roll it back. It's not the end of the world. It's only a few people who are affected. Um, so yeah, I'm
0: thinking about that as you're talking, and it's it would be very complicated for us to do that. I think, and I don't oh, know if it would yeah. really apply because these are. Well, maybe I'll 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 sit on that and think about yeah. it.
1: Yeah. Oh no, <clears throat> the, nothing that I suggest is a must do. It is a. <laughs> I, I realize that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to go to work tomorrow.
1: Raquel said. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this person who you have no idea who they are uh, suggested I do this uh, thing and therefore I'm going to break everything right now. Yeah, oh no, dear. No,
0: me, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically I don't know. I, I, I'll I just um, wrestle with this a little more but I think the, the idea of the pair programming ratcheting that up and sort of yeah. trying to to spread knowledge across more p- parts of the team, that would be helpful. Um, I think also maybe, you know, part of the problem that we're having is, is maybe just that because of the impact that things can have, the ne- the potential negative impact on the business, it's kind of a scary thing to to, sh- yeah. to to let something fly and testing. I've thought a lot about that and I'm not saying that it's impossible, but it is really difficult in, in this type of environment. Um, yeah. So we need to just get better at decoupling things and trying to sort of simulate certain parts of things. Cause I'm, I'm thinking about like, you know, order confirmation systems where you have like thousands of orders coming in and you need to process them that process them in a certain way and send out confirmation emails. And, you know, if you do that incorrectly, then you have a whole bunch of upset people. inside and outside the company you know so it's uh, for sure yeah so yeah
1: um you might also consider like bringing it up in like um an engineering meeting like maybe not the entire engineering team but at least like a a subset of people and just be like all right here's the problem what solutions can you come up with and like just do like a brainstorming session like no no ideas are are horrible until after all the ideas are out and then you can start to, like, call it down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but, like, people have some pretty cool ideas, like, just, like, so, and sometimes, like, one silly idea um, can lead to better and better ideas. Yeah. And um, I think, especially as an engineering manager, I find that that can be a really useful way to get the engineers on the team to feel mm. more ownership Mm -hmm. towards some of the issues and then they're like oh oh yeah okay this is like these are our goals this is why we're motivated to do things (coughs) how do we how do we fix this ourselves um which is pretty darn cool yeah um so
0: yeah i think that it's like that is one aspect of it and then sort of give people ideas on how to to sort of stub things out, or, or basically modularize things to, to pretend to do stuff. I mean, I, you know, talking about Amazon earlier, we are, we're building a, a thing now where we basically do Amazon Prime fulfillments, and um, th- surprisingly, Amazon does not have a sandbox. So there is this very, I don't know, it's it's I think it's fairly complex to mm-hmm. basically you create a shipment. Um, via the Amazon Marketplace API, right? And that's all still free. So you create this, you tell them what you're shipping, um, how big it is, yada yada, and then you basically go to another endpoint and pass in the shipment and ask for uh, shipping uh, options, right? And then you get back this monstrous array of, depending on how your account is set up, all these different options for shipping, their cost, the carrier, the you know, estimated delivery date, etc., And then you need to go and <clears throat> basically figure out programmatically which one you're going to choose. And then you basically get all this data that you've collected from probably two or three previous API calls and then actually create, um, maybe that is then when you create the shipment, you go to Amazon and you basically, once you commit that thing, you're paying money because you're buying the, um, you're buying the shipping label from from Amazon, who basically reaches out to FedEx to go get that. But so the way we test this now is because we have multiple components in in this process, right? So we don't want to to try to test like the for example, the the scanning system that that's used for fulfillment that sort of initiates the whole process of getting the label from Amazon. We don't want that every time to basically go into the ERP, make the fulfillment, go out to Amazon and buy the label and ship it back until we get that right, because you'd be, you know, burning up tons of stuff and you'd make a mess in the whole system, right? So one of the things was to so basically just give it dummy responses. Seems trivial or sounds trivial, but you know, maybe not everyone thinks of that. But so you maybe do it once, you capture that, and then you send it back as sort of a canned response to the you know the front end essentially right until you get that ironed out and then you go deeper and deeper and then basically what we we sort of end up with to test the whole thing full circle is we have to get in touch with the warehouse and get have them decide which order number they're going to give us to play with that they won't touch so there's like an agreement there verbal and then we go and run our thing and you know, if it works great, then we tell them, you know, we did it and here's the label, which we then have to sort of get to them somehow, which we do with, <laughs> we just send them a PNG via email and then they print it out and, and sh- complete the physical process. But at least everything under the covers is done. Right. But it's always, it's pretty, pretty involved and you need to have like a lot of knowledge of the entire workflow and it's, it takes a long time. And, um, so that's mm-hmm. what I've been sort of fiddling with the last few weeks, and just trying to sort of mm-hmm. hand that off to someone is like, oh my god, it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, just mm-hmm. to sort of illustrate what's involved in these kinds of kind of systems, yeah. it's not. Uh, no, it's
1: totally true, and yeah. it's. Um, yeah, I don't think that's. Uh, I think the problem that that you are experiencing is extremely common. Um, And there's no answer to it. So congratulations. Awesome. This was so helpful. Yay. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess it's different things apply to different stages of that process, right? Right. Some of some stuff can be done with unit testing. Some is code review. Some is, I don't know, trying it out and seeing if it works (laughs) in production, which can be (laughs) scary
1: yeah oh
0: anyway yeah if anybody i don't know this would be an interesting conversation for the slack channel if if anybody has like some good input on on how to structure this or how to sort of figure out how to go about this
1: yeah and i mean i think even even if you don't have like good suggestions or like you can't think of something that's like oh this is a good suggestion this is how to do it um, even just sharing how does your team do it yeah exactly. I think be, would be really useful like just putting it all out and saying all right what are we doing yeah. um, like what what do other people do because sometimes um, sometimes I think that people tend to stay kind of quiet about what they do because they're like well I don't do anything special but it's not special to you because you're embedded in it, yeah. but something that seems really obvious to you because you're doing it every day might be completely, totally mind blowing to someone else. Um, and uh, yeah, so or maybe you don't like, say
0: anything because you think you don't have, like you said, a solution for it. But here, right. here I am. I just basically came out and said, I don't know
1: exactly how to do
0: this. So. Yeah,
1: and. You know what most of us don't I don't think anybody really does. i um when I was interviewing at various companies, everyone was like, "Yeah, we're still figuring it out as we're going along. And I'm like, you've been in business for x number of years and like, yep, still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. so you know it's 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 pretty common in that uh, everybody's figuring it out. so yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry I don't have anything more
0: <laughs> concrete. No, no, it just it helps to throw ideas around. I mean that's, yeah. that's useful. So
1: Yeah. <clears throat> for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um so um last but uh certainly not, not least in terms of conversation topics, um it's that time of year again on Twitter when somebody says something like, <laughs> You should get a CS degree to be really great at programming. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I see where this person is coming from. Um, so somebody on Twitter said, um, I can try to bring up the exact quote, but, um, basically it was, let's see, um, <laughs> Um, on the job training is fine if you expect to be if you expect to be programming for only five to ten years. A thirty to fifty year career requires a foundation that you are unlikely to get on the job. If you love programming, get your CS degree. Um, hmm. And and like I can see where this person is coming from. This person is a bit older, has been has has had the thirty to fifty year career, um, and I would actually argue in 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 their favor that in order to define programming, to to define languages, which this person has done, um, you need to understand the very down-to-earth, like the super nuts and bolts of computer science, right? Like, I like to think about, um, like, if... I, I like to joke about, like, scientists versus engineers, right? Like, scientists break ground and think about what are the... What are the things that nobody's ever thought about? What are the, like, how do we even approach new stuff versus engineers who are like, cool, cool, all this stuff is great. Now I'm going to actually build something with it. And then you've got the people who are like your users who are just like, cool, I'm just going to use the stuff that you built. Um, and I'm being very generalist here, very purposely generalist. Of course, there are nuances. Of course, there are like things that I'm, you know, anyway, so all of, the, all of those caveats aside, Um one of the things that I love about being a programmer is that I don't need to know all the nitty gritty little computer science stuff. Um, Especially not these days where like really to be an effective JavaScript developer, I just need to learn a bunch of frameworks and learn how things interact and probably as I need them learn the various nitty gritty things. Um, But like if you don't ever need them, you probably don't need to learn them, right? Like I, I, I've talked about this before on the podcast. Um, I truly believe that you are you don't need to learn something until you've seen it more than once. Um, if you just see it like one time and you're like, yeah, okay, I don't really need to know this thing. Um, and you just forget it, it's fine because you never really need to know it again anyway. Um, but if you see something more than once, you're like, okay, I should probably learn how to do this thing. Um, and and then it'll be useful because you're seeing it regularly. Um, but, but isn't this sort of I'm thinking
0: about what, what this person said and, and it's probably is sort of coming from you know it's it's that that statement is sort of informed by their own experience maybe with what they're doing themselves and maybe they couldn't see that they would be able to do what they're doing if they didn't have a degree
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that's I don't know if that's true though that you you can make that kind of I mean, I am pretty sure you can't make that kind of blanket statement to say that anyone that has no CS degree will be out after five or 10 years. Yeah. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And I know that to be not true because I know people. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. A, you know, I think I, I would sort of trying, trying to hire people. I, I, would, I would maybe prefer or like people to have CS degrees, but I don't think it's a guarantee for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, because it so depends on the person, right?
1: Mm, I mean, yeah. It,
0: if you have someone that is motivated and and analytical and understands how to learn, mm-hmm. they can do incredible things. I think and and understand very you know stuff that I mean I don't know like concurrency, parallel programming is one of those things, right? No mm-hmm. CS degree is gonna really. You help you out with that, I don't think. I mean, we use, we use the basic... We learned about the basic concepts of, you know, mutexes and things like that, but that doesn't explain to you all the gotchas and the things that you need to sort of start thinking about when you're talking about concurrency. And
1: mm-hmm.
0: I learned that on the job. I don't, I don't see how mm-hmm. you learn that because you have a CSCS degree. I mean, yeah. you know, it's so...
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I mean, <sighs> yeah. So did
0: was that that was about. The, I mean, obviously, since it was on Twitter, that was the extent of the comment. So there's no context or, or depth to it.
1: Um. Yeah. No, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Um, so, I mean, when people
0: say that, why? Why do you think they say that? Right. What? What is the thing that you get in a CS degree that you w- just supposedly can't get by? not having that.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think, um, so what I'm seeing on Twitter, like the, there's a lot of different angles that people are taking. Um, but I think from the perspective of the person who said it, um, like they're defining new ground for computer science. And like over the course of 30 to 50 years, that makes a ton of sense, right? Like if you think about like, the last 30 to 50 years in computer science, like a lot has changed. A lot has changed in the last 30 to 50 years. Um, in terms of just like the real core, like what is a programming language, right? Like, like how do we write programming languages? How do we, um, how do we abstract, like, like make things more abstract so that we can, and like, how do we make processes faster and memory management and garbage collection and all of those things? Um, But like, I feel like it's, if that's your goal, if your goal is to do that kind of work, then sure, it makes sense to have a more formalized education in how those things work. So like, not so much in how to do the thing, but how to think about how you might do the thing.
0: Right. So it's basically, the thing that the degree gives you is the framework for learning, right? Or the framework for thinking, and right exact things. Yeah.
1: Exactly. It it enables you to do the research mm-hmm. so that you can define the future. Exactly. And
0: okay. yep. I think
1: that's great. Um, I think uh some of the, the different perspectives that I'm seeing online and people's responses is like some people are like, Well, I don't want to redefine like programming <laughs> languages for the future. Yeah. Do I still need a computer science degree? And I would say, No. Um, there are other people who are like, I hate school but a lot of the papers are free a lot of the lectures are free i can probably just learn this stuff on my own and like do on the job like practice to see if i fully understand the the things and then like on the side just keep exploring and doing my own research and is that valid and it's like yeah of course that's totally valid in my opinion like if you need to learn how to think if you need to learn how to do research like sometimes people learn in so many different ways that um if you don't want to go get a formalized education like that's fine you don't have to go sit in on lectures and have somebody you know give you homework and then give you exams and then you get a piece of paper that says you are you're qualified but to, would you think research. would you
0: say that it's harder to get started if you don't have that
1: i yeah i think yeah. I, I think you need to be personally motivated in a way that I know. I I think it takes more
0: energy, right? Because, Mm -hmm. so I came to the US and I had, I had a degree in mechanical engineering from a different country and I tried to get into computer science and I didn't even get an interview. I mean, nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, (laughs) then I went back and, because I, you know, I, I did all this tinkering stuff and I was like, I really, really wanted to go, you know, into software development. But like I said, I couldn't get, my foot in the door. Um, I probably had multiple things against me there. <laughs> it was a, but, um you know, so so what I did is i I went to, into mechanical engineering, did that, and then I went and got because I saw that you know people coming into the workforce that had less experience than me were making less money, and I mean making more money with less experience just because mm-hmm. they had a degree. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go get a degree. So then, then it was easier to get a job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So there's that part of it too, right? Um, Mm
1: -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, and I think I mean, there's uh, I would say that there. It really depends on where, like, what kind of company you're talking to, and also like it it can vary by location as well. Like, I know that when I was living on the East Coast, United States, like people were a lot less interested in talking to me because I only had a degree in mechanical engineering. And had no computer science experience whatsoever. Um, but I was like, look, I, I programmed robots. And, like, nope, 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 <laughs> that's not, that doesn't count. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. Um, but then being on the West Coast in the Bay Area specifically, like, people are just like, yeah, I don't know, who cares? Like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it also depends on what type of company and where. Like, um, five years ago when I first moved to the Bay Area, if you wanted a job at Google, like you needed to have a computer science degree. In the last five years, that seems to have changed significantly. Um, they still prefer you to have a computer science degree, but they're willing to consider you if you've got like ten years of experience, yeah. not in a with specific a degree, field, but, right?
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, this sounds a lot like yeah. again. It, it totally, totally depends, right? There's so many factors. There's like no easy yeah. answer for this, or no one yeah. answer at
1: all. Exactly. It totally depends. Exactly. Yeah. So I just I just love how, like, it, it seems to happen, like, once or twice a year, every year, without fail, somebody says some sort of blanket statement, and the entire internet goes wild, oh my god, how <laughs> dare you, I can't believe you said that, and I'm just like, all right, let me just put my opinion out there, it all depends. <laughs> yeah, it sure does, <laughs> it
0: depends.
1: <laughs> and, but it's, it's hard, I think, because especially when somebody who's really well-respected in an industry says yeah. a blanket statement like that, then you're like, Oh my god, I'm a failure because I didn't do the thing that my idol said I mm-hmm. should do. And it's like, it's not your fault. Yeah, it's the fact that your idol something with a blanket statement, and uh, it's not quite doesn't have all the nuance associated with it that it really needs. Yeah. Um. So you know, but anyway, so that's that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Oh. Oh. I have an animal. Uh, Oh, yes. Of of the day. Um, And um, so, did you know uh, that while bats are the only mammals that truly fly, they aren't the only ones you might see swooping overhead at dusk? Hmm. Um, There are a variety of other furry vertebrates who have (laughs) also been soaring through forests, especially after dark. One of them is the flying squirrel.
0: In the dark? Uh, really?
1: Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. They, that I didn't uh, know. they so now the thing about flying squirrels is that they don't actually fly. They glide. Mm-hmm. Right? They sail from tree to tree on a special membrane between each front and back limb. Um and and it's really interesting because the um like that that like biological system has evolved multiple times in history, which I think is really cool. Um, but like, yeah, they, they fly, they, they glide through trees by moonlight uh, so they can look like ghosts. I kind of wonder <laughs> how, what, what percentage of people who swear they've seen a ghost actually just saw a flying squirrel. Um, and um, so they have these really adorable, big round eyes, um, but those are for night vision. Um, and, uh, let's see. So where can I spot one of these? Um, that's an excellent question. China, uh, oh, 90% of all flying squirrel species exist only in Asia.
0: Ah, okay.
1: I, I mean, <laughs> it just means we have to go. It's, it's fine. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> totally. Um, but, um, they can, so flying squirrels can cover, impressive distances in the air uh the average glide of a northern flying squirrel is about 65 feet or 20 meters oh wow so um but they can also go much farther if needed if needed and that they can they the glides have been recorded up to 295 feet or 90 meters dang um so that means that an 11-inch, 28-centimeter northern flying squirrel could glide almost the full length of a soccer field.
0: <laughs> That's cool. Uh, I wonder what their their glide ratio is. Like, how high do they need to be in order to be able to accomplish that?
1: I don't you know. know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, oh, so wild flying squirrels can be found on three continents, um, but they're not evenly distributed uh 40 of 43 known species are endemic to asia um but i oh oh there are two types of flying squirrels that exist across a large swath of northern and central america Hmm. um they've adapted to a wide range of forests in dramatically different climates from honduras to quebec and florida to alaska oh so you could could find them in florida um, I
0: need to do more hiking.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so both American species are widespread, although some subspecies are relatively rare, like the endangered Carolina northern flying squirrel or the San Bernardino flying squirrel of Southern California. So there's, you know,
0: hmm.
1: um, <laughs> there we chance. often have no idea that they're there because <laughs> they, you know, hang out at night.
0: Yeah. So I didn't know that they they were that at night that's that seems dangerous to be flying through trees or among trees around trees at night
1: so yeah but so this is why we need to save all the forests yeah because um you know that's that's where
0: so i can see a flying squirrel in my lifetime in florida
1: you could (laughs) you could um i will i will share a an article um, and we will post them in the show notes, which you can find at reactive.audio. audio. Um, and also in the show notes, you can get a you can find the link to our Slack channel. Which, if you're not a member yet, please do be a member and then you know contribute to this conversation um, and help Henning figure yes, out how. I
0: want your th- ideas. Give me your I- ideas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I'm H or at H on Twitter and. Um, I still haven't found my tabs with the Fido <laughs> review fetcher. I will do that by next time. I promise. <laughs> this is God terrible. God. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Yes. But um, if you like the show, please tell someone about it or or leave us a review or a rating. That would be fantastic.
1: Mm-hmm. And um,
0: yeah, why don't you let them know where where to find Khalil?
1: Yeah. So um, you can find Khalil on Twitter at Khalil Tweets. Um, and you can talk to all of us on Twitter at Reactive pod and I am as always at rockbot also on the Twitters. Um, some days I'm up sometimes I'm not <laughs> but but Monday, December 11th is gonna be the big day when I announce where I'm going. Um, so yeah, it's my first day at my new job and I'm uh, I've already had the like the panic dreams oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first day of school all over again oh, wow. um so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun uh i'm really excited you will and, be and uh yeah no i yep. think it'll be good it'll be good so awesome. all right my friends all right have a wonderful week catch you all next right. week bye